All right, let's call this meeting to order. Uh, we'll do the roll call, Jordan, if you wouldn't mind just yep. starting and saying your name for the minute taker. Jordan Seligren. Nicole Villanueva. Noah Stork. Christina Wallou Reynolds. Kevin Boyd. Margaret Beck. Frank Wagner. Deanna Thoman. Great. Do we? Oh, everything's recording the way it needs to be. Yeah. In fact, I, I'm just going to let you know that we're trying a new thing so that they can sync the slides better with the video recording. Oh, okay. So that they, Ty created a little Zoom meeting, so it's recording the slideshow portion so they can sync it together later. Oh, great. So it might pop down every once in a while. And it's fine. Just wanted to make sure. All right. Uh, item C, public discussion, anything not on the agenda? Seeing no members of the public here, I think we can move on to item D, uh, review of the 2023 uh, Historic Preservation Commission work plan the, with edits. And with I do have slides. I unacknowledged, unapproved edits. I went through and, and made slides for each section. Yep. So however you want to talk about it and and do the slides. Do you, do you want to just do... Do you want to do the slides, or do you want to? You know, it could be just a general. I mean, so I went through and. Uh, so first of all, the commission makes a work plan that is supposed to guide the work of the commission during the calendar year. We have a lot of goals, and so it's obvious that we're not going to get through them all. But we try to prioritize things. It also allows us to talk about what was on there in the past that we've actually accomplished when we do accomplish those things. And so that's generally what we're talking about. And so Kevin I, yeah, went through and synced up our, our ideas and the things that we want to work on with the strategic plan that council put forth. And he did that a couple of years ago, and so we followed that plan, and then the strategic plan this year changed because we had a new council, and so it's now been related to the new kind of topics strategic plan that they have. And so, um, uh, yeah, I guess we can, why don't we talk about each section? section. Yeah, that'd be good. I think the other thing I was going to say is when, we, when I joined the commission eight years ago or whatever, our work plan was just like a giant wish list, and every year it just we just added things, and nothing ever really, very few things came off. And so I think what we tried to do a few years ago was both align around the work plan and kind of remove some of the stuff that was maybe long term or put them in in a in a time window of like, hey, well, this is a these are things we need to address in the short term. These are things we want to need to keep an eye on in the long term. Um, anyway, so we redrafted it. I think maybe three years ago now, mm -hmm. um, when the city council had their strategic, did their first strategic plan. I think they update every maybe four years or every three or two or something. I don't know. Anyway, they re-updated it. They actually just in today's council packet that goes out on Thursday afternoon to the city council from the city staff, uh, the city manager uh, suggested, wrote a memo that both, that the commissions think about the strategic plan in their own work plans and, um, and suggested that the council for their the next time they have a work session to talk about divvying up council members and having them come talk about the plan, how to incorporate it. So I think we're kind of ahead of the curve mm -hmm. on, on kind of aligning this work. Uh, it would have been great if Jeff would have acknowledged that one of the commissions has been doing it for two years, but I know where that is. So that's, you're just gonna have to put up a little bit of my attitude tonight. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's my <laughs> chair's so, prerogative is what I'm calling it. <laughs> so the goal though tonight is to determine what 
the edits to the plan will be and then to approve a work plan so that we can then include it as part of the annual report that we send to the state on February 28th. And then also we will send our work plan to um, the city manager and city council. We do that every year as well. So at the end, we'll want to keep track of anything that we want to edit so that we can um, approve the final one. I will also say I have, over the last three or four years, as new counselors has come on, sat down with them in one-on-one meetings and used this, the work, the old work plan, obviously not this one, you know, to just kind of talk to them about kind of our work, how it fits in with their work, you know, kind of remind them of things. And I think they've been very appreciative of the, the way that the format of it, of like thinking about it in terms of their, what they've set out as priorities, so. So the first value that they, well, and here's a slide, I'm sorry, it goes through, it's required by SHPO, um, the current work plan aligns with the strategic plan. I forgot about this slide because my intern made it and I thought it was handy, but then I forgot. <laughs> and, and there are uh, work around these topics. So the first thing is climate action. And um, I do want to say that historic preservation and climate action are intrinsically linked. Um, the, the National Historic Preservation Act of 1966 was started as a reaction to all of the demolitions and um, getting rid of all the old materials and, and all the things that were going on with um, the modern era, era post-World War II, basically. So the slide I, I created here um, is basically showing you that um, this is a topic that is is in the lexicon, basically, and so it's not a new thing. So when we talk about on our ongoing work, there is a background within the national preservation as well. And so, for instance, um, these are slides from a webinar that I attended this year, and they're talking a lot about um, how the building has its embodied energy, the energy that took to grow those materials and manufacture the materials and get them to the site and build them and everything. And I'm sorry, I'm totally having a hot flash. <laughs> I'm sorry. I feel like a fire. <laughs> but um, anyway, so these slides uh, are from that um, webinar and oh I keep forgetting which moves the slides uh, for instance here is um, the embodied energy in one way that it can be measured BTUs is the energy required to increase the temperature of one pound of water by one degree Fahrenheit BTU can be used to measure energy and so they've calculated um, basically the BTU to get one board foot of lumber. And so we have these amounts, one brick, uh, one pound of steel, uh, glass, concrete, and aluminum. And as you can see that a lot of the materials that they use in modern construction have really high embodied energy and lumber is, is pretty low. And so when you're replacing a building that maybe is constructed of wood with something that's constructed of steel and glass and concrete, you're replacing a, a, a building that not only is there, 
but you're expending so much embodied energy to build that new building. So you're getting rid of the, the energy that exists, and then you have to use all this new energy as well. So we have both of these issues, the replacement, but also getting rid of the energy that, that is already there. And uh, the other important thing with that is that new construction, you know, all of your energy and costs are going to go into materials, very little labor. But if you're rehabbing something and working with an existing building, most of your cost is in labor instead. That labor is probably someone you hire locally, so you're keeping your costs local instead of sending it out to wherever all of those materials and, and everything came from. And these are important things in regard to sustainability in addition to energy efficiency. And so we have to really think about all of them. So then we have our work plan. Yeah, so here's, so they, the way that the council has set this up is they have a, a handful of things that are values and then there's areas of impact to focus on. So they are like seven different things, but some of them are values. This is a value. Um, and I, you know, we had we we, I, I, have you, as you guys read it, I don't want to read it if you mm -hmm. have. Um, uh, but there was two kind of in the ongoing work section. Um, both continued to advocate that embodied energy is worth valuing, um, and uh, to contribute to the discussion of uh, demolition, and then as short-term goals. Um, you know, I have long thought that we. Um, we say we, you know, as a city, we care deeply about climate action, but we allow people to pay $50 and de demolish a building and let it sit, the land sit vacant. And that seems like we're not capturing, you know, on top, like capturing that. Um, and we have for these two items have both been in this work plan for two, the previous two years. Uh, and Russell did some edits um, that I, would prefer not to be included, but it's really up to you guys if you want to include them or not. I didn't see anything um, to include. What is it exactly that I thought needed to be changed? Um, well, the, the, here I wrote that continue to advocate for unbodied energies worth valuing and wrote currently the Climate Action C Committee does not take this into consideration. We should continue to advocate to fix this. While, we've, what we, while what we've saved from landfills is immeasurable, embodied energy and existing materials is still measurable. Uh, and suggested we cut the sentence that Climate Action Commission does not take into consideration. Uh, did you say and suggest that? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I mean, I'm fine either way on this particular one. Mm -hmm. it, it seems like we should just acknowledge that it is not currently part of the plan somewhere. Right. And she, and, and I don't have clarifications for this. She did state that there are items in the climate action plan that relate to this. I don't personally know what they are exactly because I haven't yeah. really gotten into what the specific climate action plan is. Yeah, I, I didn't see anything about embodied energy anywhere on the stuff. Okay. It seems to me like we should acknowledge, but whether it's not, um, Maybe it could be framed in a way that's like an include, you know, a goal to be included in the climate action plan or something. I don't know. It could just be changed to something like, 
we should advocate to have embodied energy concerns added to the climate action yeah. plan. Yeah. Okay. I didn't write that down though. That was pretty good. Yeah. How about Brilliant. continue to advocate that embodied energy is worth valuing and should be included in the city's climate action work plan. And then we say, well, what we've saved from landfills is measurable and body energy and existing materials is still measurable. Kind of like giving a little reason why. Yeah, sure. Um, great. And then on the contribute to demolition discussion, as the climate, climate action apparently is f considering how, they, how we approach demolition in the city, um, uh, we should contribute and so should other commissions, right? That there's not just climate action that is thoughtful about what th those demolition things are. And what uh, was suggested was cut was, if we're serious with dealing with climate action, we should be serious about demolition and the waste it produces, the costs to the environment, even considering dumping fees, it doesn't, even considering dumping fees, that doesn't match the $50 fee for demolition. Some cities are discussing removing demolition by right. Others, rather than just paying for demolition fees, citizens are given the opportunity to evaluate the new structure and make sure that the new structure aligns with our expressed values. Do we get affordable housing? Is it energy efficient? Are there sufficient elements of history in the building that should be valued? It was suggested that was cut? Yeah. And why? Can I ask why? Did they? Recommend removing this instead of starting a conversation with staff that deal with the sustainability and climate action efforts on a day-to-day -day basics basis basis to see what the HPC and climate action can partner on. So I will say one thing. I can't remember exactly what it was that came up, but there was somewhere through climate action, not locally, but maybe statewide or something, there came, uh, there was a, uh, an, a grant that was available. And um, it just came up just kind of, you know, does anyone in our part department have any ideas that would relate to that? And I actually proposed something related to reducing demolition waste and proposed it to the um, waste management folks as well, they would need to take the lead on it. They liked the idea, but it was not the kind of thing that could be worked out in time for this grant. So from my point of view, it was just kind of, you know, put behind. But I do know that there are some other staff who are interested in this and have been for a, a number of years on waste management because we used to work together related to the salvage barn. Um, but I don't, I don't know if yeah, it continues think, beyond that. I think it's like these are ideas. They're not saying. I mean, it just it seemed pretty. Like if if uh, anyway, I I would like it to stay unless folks feel uncomfortable with that. No, I think it seems fine. Okay, it's also the exact same language we approved last year. Yeah. So, okay, we're keeping that one in. And then the long-term goal is really to like develop a disaster preparedness guide for preservation. You know, the city uh, uh, and friends maybe com combined won an award recently for the work. Nope, not an award. They were featured in a video uh, mm. in terms of oh. the, the work that they did to preserve um, historic neighborhoods after the tw 2006 tornado. Mm -hmm which was well before my time here. Um, but there was a kind of a mini, a mini preparedness plan in place, I think, and they kind of just met um, 
the commission was meeting, I think, actually during the tornado itself. And so <laughs> I think they um, uh, yeah. adjourned and then kind of started talking about what to what to do. Um, but I think, you know, we've, we're going to see more climate action. Climate change is going to have impact on these historic neighborhoods and I think is an important part of what we should think about uh, in the long term. It's obviously not a short term. And also uh, the... Um, the commission and friends got a national award as well for how they helped the community respond to the tornado. Um, so we have been awarded. One thing, um, I know the National Park Service recently sent something out um, to all the people on their listserv. They have created kind of a disaster preparedness uh, for SHPO and sent that to SHPO. So it's more like how the state can help local governments, but I'm sure there are elements of that that could also help inform anything that we would come up with as a plan, as well as all the documentation that I have in many, many folders about the tornado. Anyway, that, there was no suggestion that it's to that, and that's been there for a little while, and I think a good thing for us to, future us to think about. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, the next one is value is social justice, racial equality, and human rights. I will have to say, so um, Kevin included a list of properties, kind of a discussion of properties, and I actually didn't know what some of those properties oh, were. Oh, that's yeah. <laughs> so I was like, wow, I wonder which one that one is. Uh, but I did put a couple in here. So for instance, um, a church held a dance party for gay men that was raided by law enforcement. It's still standing and it's become a local landmark and that's a Unitarian Universalist church. Um, they had, uh, social events in their basement a lot. Um, the Haddock House is um, the home of Emma Haddock, the first woman to practice law in federal court. Um, it's also called the Crag. Yeah, <laughs> it's a concrete block construction. It's, oh. it's really unique house and uh, inside it's more intact than you might think really. Mm -hmm. Part of like that cooperative or something? Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's why I was like, it's more intact than you might think, but it is really. Um, and then there have been the, uh, we had the civil rights grant a few years ago so that the Tate Arms is listed in the National Register and has a nice sign educating the public, and so does the Iowa Federation Home. Um, I, th I also included, there's a, that the brick duplex on Iowa Avenue that's kind of painted on one side mm -hmm. and naked brick on the other, oh. was the home of one of the early sheriffs who was a fierce abolitionist. And his um, he lived there and in his backyard, which is the other side of the creek, which is now Jefferson Street, um, was a barn that was used um, when John Brown came through with uh, his, um, with some of his arms and freedom seekers, the, the the, they stayed in the house, and then the freedom seekers stayed in the barn out back. Um, so that, that house has been preserved. It was saved through the tornadoes, but was preserved. You know, the, the thing that we discover about history is you, it's like a detective. You know, you kind of as you discover more, and as we are digitizing more, we're going to discover more things. And because we have preserved some of these neighborhoods, we have preserved things that we didn't know maybe had these deep histories. And like the first... Um, abortion, the second woman owned abortion clinic in the country was in Iowa City and it was a house, um, it was in a house on Dodge Street that is part of the Brown Street Historic District. It's like a little house kind of tucked away. It was only there for maybe six months 
um, but it was there. And we have, as when we, that's not part of the nomination form for the Brown Street Historic District, but because we preserve that, that house is, is remains. And so, you know, as we, as we, as history detectives uncover more, we're going to find, I think, more opportunities of things that we have, and, and more focus of history is thinking about these issues. Um, I think we'll discover those. Plus, Iowa City has been a leader on these issues, you know, uneven leader at times, um, but I think a leader on these issues, and I think there's opportunities to preserve the stories of these, of these efforts um, as well. Anyway, but those are the other two things that I mentioned among these two houses, and then the ones that we, I think, all know. Um, but the short-term goal is ongoing work was kind of highlighting opportunity, sorry, identifying opportunities to highlight Iowa City's history as a leader in these issues, preserve the stories and structures, um, particularly as the 1960s and 70s homes become historic and structures become historic. You know, those are a lot of the, the times. And then another short-term goal that we've had on here is partner with Parks and Recreation Commission, the Public Arts Commission, Lucas Farms Neighborhood, and other community organizations uh, to make Oak Grove Park a public space that honors its the site's heritage. That park was originally home of many, uh, I think four or five, I think five kind of Mexican families, immigrant families, who were working on the railroad um, and, and built their houses out of, or their, the living structures and houses and their homes out of the kind of the leftover structures of the, on the rail yard here. Um, and uh, anyway, the park is up, I think in 2026 for like a redesign and rethought out. And it seems an opportunity to rename it something that honors that and find other creative ways to kind of celebrate that history here. Uh, by the way, Oak, the first question I often get when I talk about this is, well, what's the significance of Oak Grove Park? There was an Elm Grove Park, kind of where the Johnson County Administration Building is now that was sold, I think, to the Armory at the time. And it was named Elm Grove Park. And so they bought it. They bought this land from the train station in exchange and like in honor of the original park they named it Oak Grove. So it's not like a deeply meaningful. I mean, I'm sure it is to some, but it's not necessarily a a name that it would be sad to be changed out. But anyway, those are those. There was no edits on those. I don't know if folks have other ideas or thoughts we should include. Okay. Um, wow. Partnership. Oh, Jessica, one thing, just for other folks' knowledge, can we go back to the... The city just bought several of these properties over right here. here. Hmm. Um, to either expand the park or include as part of the new a potential new train station, um, uh, if there's passenger rail here. So, will that happen? I mean, <laughs> I mean, it'd be great. I, I I don't know. We're prepared. <laughs> but yeah, um, and so I'm. It's assumed that these houses would would come down. There, I don't know anything about them. I haven't looked at them yet. So, um, I'm assuming that there's nothing spectacular about them but the the Mexican barrio as it was called was you know generally in this area as you can see it's like these are some of the small houses at the time and they were in this area So partnership and engagement is one of the values. Um, and that's also something that's included in our annual report, you know, working with other groups and, and stuff. Um, we do have our annual awards, of course, and we'll 
carry that on, I hope. <laughs> I mean, specifically because this year's our 40th, so we should celebrate and uh, we'll try to work on something special for that. Um, so I included three things. Ongoing work is just kind of our annual awards celebration. Uh, I had two short-term goals. Yeah, and I don't have any slide for your sh first short-term goal. That's fine. We, uh, a while ago, uh, worked with the downtown district and passed a, a kind of a framework to include tools, economic tools, for opt-in incentives for local landmarks. We sent it to the city council. They talked about it, but no one provided us any feedback on what that conversation was, and so I wanted to include an opportunity for just like, hey, we should ask what happened to that conversation. We've also got several new um, city council members there, so it might be worth a re-asking of that um, as a short-term goal. The language I used was edited to not have it be specific. Just like, see what happens. Um, and the same on the Montgomery Butler House. We, and the, um, the Montgomery Butler House is, uh, the, the butlers uh, were Kind of like the, I think of them as the godparents of Iowa City. Um, they, when Iowa City was trying to become um, the state capital or had been named the state capital, there was no structures for the, the legislators to meet. And several other cities had structures to people to meet in, and they tried to convince the the, the legislature, like, hey, you don't need to meet in Iowa City. They don't have any structures. Come to Mount Pleasant or stay in Burlington or whatever. And the the Butlers built a kind of a rickety structure they called the lean to, it was a hotel that was called the lean to capital because it kind of wasn't a real sturdy building but that's where they met for the first legislative session that kind of granted them in um, early the territorial legislature in Iowa required laws um, for if uh, black citizens were coming to the state they had to get a white person to sponsor them and basically sign a bond that says I promise this person is a good person more or less um, and the butlers signed for the um, uh, first black couple to, black family to move to Iowa City. Um, they had uh, kind of their own history as well. Um, but when, when Walter Butler died, his wife remarried Mr. Montgomery, and they had, this was their kind of their country home, I think. And then they, their family were, um, uh, um, they operated a ferry across the Iowa River here, and for a long time there was a bridge that was called Butler Bridge. It was a green, like when I was a kid, we would go to cross Butler's Bridge, but that's getting to be a longer and longer time ago. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, our commission and the Parks and Recreation, Parks and Recreation Commissions, so this sits on what most people consider a park, but it is actually, the land is managed by public works because it's the waterworks land, and so there's, the, the parks has to do some, spends money on minor upkeep of this building, which is not in great condition. It was mothballed when the city acquired it in 1997. They agreed at the time to, um, uh, in the agreement to mothball it was to like, when the funds became available, they do something with it. That's been 25 years now and they haven't. Um, but we passed and so did the Parks and Recreation Commission unanimously to ask the city council to kind of create a working group of people on both of our commissions and maybe other members of the public to just think about what to do with it. Um, one of the suggestions at a, from a participant at the parks interrupt meeting was just to like secure it in a way to kind of let it be ruins. Like not, it doesn't need to be a functional mm -hmm. building. It could just kind of be a structure that exists there with some 
storytelling about the butlers and, and their history and what the site was. So I don't think the actual result needs to be a lot of money, but if we don't do something with it, it's going to have to get torn down and end up as landfill waste. And it seems like there's an opportunity to, to work together. On that, our commissions have jointly asked for it. Um, I, I'd like to follow up with the city council and just ask, like, they, ask them if they have thoughts on it. They, they're not required by any measure to do what we ask them to do, but I think they owe us. If engagement and partnership are their expressed values, engagement means you respond when people, when your city commission send you a request, you respond, hey, we're not interested, it's a good idea, we don't have time, or great idea, we'll put it on our list for the next year. Something that I, I think, if, if they're gonna say they value engagement and partnership, that's a two-way street and requires communication on both ends. So that's why I wanted to follow up with them as part of the plan for both of these things. There's some edited language that takes out that action item. Do folks have thoughts about the edits or are we comfortable leaving it in that we should ask them? Yeah. Are the edits to completely remove it? The edits are to, well, to remove that we, that there's a unanimous request from our commission and the Parks Commission and we've asked the council for feedback and none has been provided. Those are the things that were but there is a, a unanimous request, correct? Two, yeah, from our commission yeah. and their so commission. And <laughs> <laughs> we should leave it in. That's kind of my thought. If that's a fact, then. Yeah. Can I ask this property here? Is this, uh, do you mind going back one slide? Is this something that can, do people go into this? I mean, is it so chained off, gated off, or is it? There, it was formally mothballed, which meant that they removed all the windows and doors okay. and kind of boarded them over with venting so okay. that it wouldn't, like, rot. Okay. Over time, that has failed so that people were getting into it. In fact, a few years ago, my daughter visited a friend and came home telling me that, oh, we went to this house in the park, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the kids were getting in, as well as other people and animals and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. the mothballing itself was failing. And just like, what, a couple of years ago or a year? maybe right before COVID or during the beginning of COVID that came to my attention more. And so I think that maybe some of the enclosing has been fixed. So it's still enclosing. I, cause the park department, I think had a, you know, they wanted to keep it safe. And so I think that they I, enclosed they, it they again, spent but some, that's it. They spent some money doing it, which is why the parks and recreation commission was like, what's going on with this? Yeah. And I had coffee with one of the members. We talked about it, and we said, like, look, we should just find a solution for this mm -hmm. that I th that does, that isn't spending this temporary money doing it, and that doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to. You know, when I when I, I, I talked to Julie Johnson, who's the director of parks, and she's like, well, it's, it can't be a museum. It's not it's like it's like that's not what we're. I think there's plenty. There's somewhere between a restored structure that's open to the public and something that is preserved in a way that is allowed to you know, just exist that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't provide safety risks or other risks. I think that just needs, it needs to be addressed. And um, it, it's owned by the city right now. Yeah. The city acquired this land in 1997 or so um, when they were expanding for the water treatment facility. How are the log cabins dealt with in terms of like 
being closed up. But like, are they ever opened up? The ones at City Park? Uh, they do use them for city functions, but I I don't know a lot. Back when we got the grant to do the roof, we you know wrote a bunch about that kind of stuff. But they're used for formal things, so I'm sure <clears throat> that they are the doors locked. Okay. Just on a general thing. Um, and with the Montgomery Butler House, I mean, the city got multiple grants. We, we got a grant to study the history. We got a grant to do a feasibility report about what it could be used for. And then we got a grant to mothball it as well. So the state, this I think, gave at least three grants thinking that it was also an important building. And given the history of it, you know. And yeah. The... Uh, there, in the original agreement, because this was, was this list on the historic register at some point? Or I maybe don't, There was a nomination or I, I don't I don't remember all I think of it. there was a, when this fight was happening, the owner did not want to sell their land here. And I think it was proposed that it may be listed as a way to try to stop the land sale. I don't think, it obviously did not happen. But I think part of the agreement, Shippo had to sign off. And I went back to newspapers.com and like read all the contemporary reports on this. There was an agreement that the city had to sign with Shippo to, in order to like acquire this land. And so there was some sign off issue here that they had to mothball it and, and restore it when funds became available. But that, that, that part has been, I think, forgotten um, in whatever that agreement is that's now 25 years mm -hmm. old. So. Yeah. And we do, I mean, we, I have at least a one lateral file cabinet drawer full of non-digitized documentation about yeah. this property and all this past city stuff. And I'm sure, honestly, even, you know, that was much of that was done in the late 90s, like just the digitification of all of these documents and historic, I mean, the library has historic newspapers that you can search. And I, I am pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I think one of the, um, there, there was like a, wedding at this house of, I think, one of the kids of the couple that they signed the papers for, I think, had their, like, small wedding at this. It's, a, it's They call it the butler house in the country, so I don't really know for sure, but it seems likely Probably. that it was there and given the familial relationships. So I think it's like a, there's a lot of history here, and it doesn't, again, I don't think it needs to be restored in a way that we think of, like, a a a restored structure. I think it just needs to be stabilized and, and, and a plan that is, right now, we've been ignoring it more or less mm -hmm. and putting Band-Aids on it for 25 years. It needs... But no one's asking for Plum Grove. It just needs right. to yeah. be... Yeah. Yeah. It's that, a stone house. You know, the, the porches have been removed as part of the mothballing. So, you know, the structure that remains is a hefty structure. Mm -hmm. So it's not... Yeah, I think the way that the woman who was... Uh, it was it was Mary Bennett at, who was at the parks meeting for another reason when I went to ask them to consider uh, supporting this effort, joint effort. She she suggested that there's examples in other um, cities and other states where they have kind of these old structures that aren't really meant aren't in a place to be used but are stabilized in a way and kind of just left there as monuments of what they stood for and they don't they don't really have to come down they don't need a lot of maintenance there's some anyway which i thought was a really interesting idea given its placement it's right along it's a long way up if you're in the parking lot but if you're on the trails it is mm -hmm. 10 right. feet maybe or 12 feet or something well that's exactly what i wanted to ask is is there any precedent for this limited restoration type approach um clearly you know we're hearing oh it's not going to be a museum you know 
AKA it's not going to be fully restored to its historic glory days. So this more limited restoration seems to make sense. And I'm just curious what is out there for that approach. And because I, I love the log cabins in the park. Well, right. I, I, just I don't ever think about so simple would be. Well, for instance, in where I went to architecture school in Lawrence, Kansas, out in the country, it's, I think it's a park. I don't know. It's just out in the country. There's a big stone schoolhouse. It has no roof. Part of one corner is kind of gone. Mm -hmm. But the architecture students stabilize the stone mm -hmm. by pointing it. And then one of the architecture classes built an independent roof that doesn't touch the building, hmm. but also protects it from further deterioration. And when you go out and walk your dog in the park, you can go into the building as well. Now, Mom for a while, it was starting to fall apart, and they did fence it off so that they could work on it more. So they had to be cognizant about its condition over time. But it just was there. Yeah. I, I was not – there was a time – I can't remember – in the, in the recent past, I was in Portland, and there was like a little um, kind of a development around the kind of the walls of a structure that was kind of protected in a similar way. Um, what are the like in interior materials, like wood floor, wood trim, anything? Like, like could it just be painted with exterior paint on the inside and then, you know? It so does have a wood floor. Um, I think that... You know, it has plaster over stone walls, yeah. and and it's not in great condition right now. So it would take some work beyond just cleaning it up to make it passable. Mm -hmm. if, if the city owned it since 1997 and has done nothing to it, is why do they want? Why did they want this property? Is it just next to like yeah, the they water? acquired? I think it, it was part of a larger property that included the land they wanted for the water treatment facility. Okay. So it's, but it's not necessary for them to have it for the water treatment facility. It just was part of a little yeah. a bigger piece. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the land. So, you know, this is where there's those walking trails that mm -hmm. they've made. And so, like, the boundary of this goes off to the side further. Well, um, if there wasn't the history of the house, it would probably be gone, mm -hmm. long gone by yeah. now. Yes. Yeah, it just feels like it needs to be addressed. And mm -hmm. I don't think that, and I, that's like the point of the working group, no, I think, is to like, let's like find two or three other examples of this and see there's certainly a grant to find a way to to cover many of the, like, I, you know, I, I just think there's a lot of opportunities to address it in a way that is both respectful to the history, but also makes it, a, there's a plan for it so that we're not in 10 years wondering why it just. Well, and then the story could be told too. Right, right, yeah. That's, I think, the other piece, right? It's like connecting those stories. And again, it's not, it's a, it's a long way up the hill from the, I'm, the parking lot, but very close to bike trails yeah. and, and those things. So like a stabilizing a plaque that explains the story. Yeah, or art or something that yeah. kind of helps tell the story of what, it's just, a, it's a critical, to me, a critical piece of our, our history. Mm -hmm. And there's very few structures that are kind of as old as, we don't have a lot of pre-Civil War structures right. left, you know. Anyway, are we comfortable leaving the language I have in here? Yes. Okay. Great. Okay, so one of the areas of impact, moving on. I'm sorry, I feel like I'm taking forever and being rambly and <laughs> you're getting all of my Iowa history, yeah. like Iowa City history love that. that Don't worry, the annual report yeah. <laughs> is five minutes. What's that? Okay. <laughs> um, one of the goals is housing and neighborhoods. Um, uh, I had two pieces of well, I don't know. My ongoing work was kind of the Historic Preservation Fund, which I'll let Jessica talk about. 
um, and then be ready to partner with neighborhoods interested in historic preservation, you know, kind of being able to be a partner when that happens. Um, I also had a long-term goal here of working to get form-based code in areas that are adjacent or surrounded by historic districts. Just could you have a, is there a map? Did you put a map of this historic district? That's districts? for new no. structures. Right? Okay. I, I have a map of our historic districts later. Later. Okay. Well, I'll just describe it now. But there's a handful of places that are almost entirely surrounded by historic districts or adjacent to historic districts uh -huh. that I think of as like kind of donut holes, and I and those feel like to me like really great opportunities for form-based code. Form-based code is a, is a zoning thing that cares more about the form of the building than the use of the building. So there's more flexibility for. Um, uh, for the developer to make buildings, if they kind of look and meet the form, there's a lot more flexibility on the use, whether it's more housing, higher density, or, you know, kind of live workspaces or other type of, you know, commercial first floor, other things. And to me, these are really critical. I feel like these are the areas where there's a lot of developmental fights often. And I think this is a solution to help transition from historic neighborhoods and to less to, to areas that aren't protected. Um, and also helps mitigate some of the um, neighborhood fights that happen in these areas. There was a particular property that's just outside of the Goosetown Horseman Conservation District, literally next door to a historic district or historic house that is protected that, that was a big fight. And it just seems like that's a, 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 this is a pretty easy solution. The city wants to move to form-based code anyway. It seems like a good opportunity to engage there. So Can you define form-based code again? Yeah, it means that the that you when you set the kind of the zoning, there's like a zoning overlay. I think this is not my area of expertise, but they you you provide architectural details about what you expect the buildings to look like. Um, you know whether they're two story or there's the kind for of new for new construction. Yeah, okay. Yep. And so, but then you in exchange for kind of and sometimes they're pre there's some cities will pre-design things that developers can just you know, but get the plans and take them to action. Um, but so it's for new construction in those areas that is more focused on the, fo the, the building form and gives, in exchange for focusing on the form, gives flexibility on use. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so you can have, like, like a, I think of like a live workspace where maybe the first floor is a, I don't know, like a law office and the second floor is a, Residents and it may be in the middle of a neighborhood, you know, kind of I think of like the Ann Connors dentistry is like right. a, What is an example of if you had form-based code in these places you might have little places like that the city just passed a, a, I don't know recently for the south side, which is like a lot of new areas to on form-based code It is a there's kind of a movement to do it to offer more flexibility You can add more density in those places because you're focused on the form and so you can um and it really fits our historic neighborhoods. I mean, if you think about having like a little grocery store on the corner and For you sure. know that kind of a thing, it it fits within historic neighborhoods because you're not having small houses and then a giant commercial building or a giant multifamily building. You're having buildings that are that fit within the neighborhood and what that form has been determined to be. So um, one situation where that like doesn't work out like well I guess I just want to clarify if this is that sort of situation like you know the, I think the city had like some um, requirement that like then the come and go stations like turned over on its head they had to have some kind of street oh. facing window 
And so now they're just like a blank window where they keep all their storage. Yeah. Um, is that form? I don't know that okay. answer. I think there's some design. There's some design overlays in, in places too that they have, but I don't. I don't know the answer to that. Okay. And this isn't like a very. It's like just a. As you're thinking about form-based code city, you should think about these areas. I think of like, you know, this area that's completely surrounded by historic districts or ones where there's like little inlets and things that like, those are going to be places where there's going to just if if existing structures are torn down and new things are built there, it's inevitably going to be a fight unless they are in front of it and thoughtful yep. about what those things look like. For sure. Anyway. I don't. I think the only edit on that was I had included a f that it might help with affordable housing, and Anne told me it does not. So I think we should accept that edit because she knows more about form-based code than I do. And the neighborhood, um, the historic preservation fund uh, is, I think, to me, an ongoing success. Yeah, and I'm not going to really talk about it no. much okay. right now. But here's. Here's two houses. One, we've given them multiple grants to turn the house from this to this, which is spectacular. And in this case, uh, we helped a nervous homeowner utilize her insurance company's, well, her, her insurance plan to turn her house from that to that. She um, got a grant from us to cover the, what they wouldn't pay for and so far I don't we don't have a, a, a bill so it might be that they ended up paying for all of it I don't know yet for sure but giving her that grant gave her the uh, confidence to be able to say yeah we'll go ahead and remove all this aluminum siding and she was so excited about it that she gave me not only is this like two picture thing something that she did, I didn't do that, I kind of did this, but she did that. But she has some where she has like six photos of the same thing. So it's like before, after the siding is removed, <laughs> after the trim was reconstructed, after the, you know, it's like each step is a photo. And she did that for the entire house. And so, yeah, she was super excited. Frankly, this is one of the most exciting projects that an owner can do, <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> but uh, we, I talk to people about it all the time, and I'm currently working up a presentation about all of the properties that the city's been involved with removing the siting and all of the photos that we have that show what they uncovered and stuff. So I can kind of help homeowners get a better idea about what they might uncover. There's no guarantee. It's still one of, like a magic act. You uncover it and you see what you have. But there are certain things that everybody will have to replace for sure because it always has to be replaced. But typically, it's not as bad as you think. You think it's going to be horrible, but you're going to have to scrape and paint it. <laughs> um, and then neighborhoods. I mean... Our goal is to maintain neighborhoods. Here's uh, Northside neighborhood. This is Fairchild Street. Here's East College Street. You know, just that quality, that neighborhood that we we have is is important. Yeah, I talked too about the idea of historic neighborhoods. They, they were designed for a variety of income levels to be exist all in the same neighborhood, right? You know, it's like I've got a very small house on one side of me. Mine's pretty modest. A couple of blocks just down the street is a much larger house, right? I mean, you got all of those kind of um, in the same 
block that doesn't really exist in a lot of new developments. And that's what the city's trying to get back to. Uh, so I think recognizing where we're at. Um, the final thing I just added, this is not part of the city's values, but it's I, just preserving our heritage broadly, I think is part of our um, just core mission. Yeah. Um, and I included yep. the photos of some of these things just because they've been long ongoing projects. Not everybody knows about them, so I thought that it would help a little bit. We have the Summit Street Monument where um, the DAR back in the 30s or whatever put the plaques on, so that's historic. Um, they, this is a monument on Court and Summit, and it marks the southeast corner of the original plat of the city. And we had got a grant to have um, a conservator come and study our monument and, and give us recommendations for what to do about it. And um, the general idea is that it probably needs to be moved inside into like a museum type setting and then a replica made that goes in that location because it's going to deteriorate from acid rain <clears throat> and the plaque leaching onto it. Um, I know that we have reached out to, or I believe that I remember we reached out to Old Capital about it and they weren't interested. Um, and so, uh, you know, maybe City Hall. Um, yeah, this is literally the, like the oldest structure in the city, probably. I mean, it's the oldest placed there. I mean, they put it up when they platted, they, like shortly after they platted the city yeah. out. And, you know, and this was like a, a oversized surveyor marker, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so it just, it needs to be addressed. Otherwise, it, it will continue to deteriorate and yeah, not so, exist. Yeah, so, you know, we have to figure out where it's going to go. And then we need to figure out how we pay for getting it there making a replica, making signage. I mean, there's some multiple things that have to happen with this, but it's kind of a stalled project at the moment. And then we have the Sangsay Gilmore House, which we do believe is the oldest uh, house within the city limits. Uh, maybe The built. original city limits. Original city limits, yeah. There is one just, you know, up Park Road, but... Um, and this is one where there was an agreement between the city and the university to move it, make it the nonfiction writing program right across the street. It came in um, at, what, $2 million to move and rehab it. And so the uh, university said no. And instead, they're building a new nonfiction writing. They built. It's there. It's there. Right on the spot that we thought was the best place to move the house, actually, the chair and I who went through all of our available properties, and we were like, this is the perfect place to move it. And they were like, nope, we have no interest in doing anything with this property. And, and so they and built it. And it would have it. been across from the president's house, the university. Yeah. And it was an easy street to move down. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there was just all sorts of things, but but yeah, they so they built a new building instead on that location. It was going to be moved just across the street, but the lot across the city was at the time willing to give the lot across the street to somebody who would move it, which I think is a uh, if I'm if I had money to be a developer, I think a, a good incentive to get, to get a, a either a premium lot to move it on or potentially part of a three way property deal, right, where you have another site that's more that's more that's better for the house potentially or the, and you trade the lot. So I, I um, 
it, it seems to me that there's an opportunity to kind of market that. Uh, I know Friends is, has been working on this particular issue as well. Oh, okay. So not, I don't know how yeah. actively, but... Anyway, so this is the house, and uh, every once in a while I'll get a call about it, and where somebody will be think that the city owns it and wonder if they can use it for something, and you know, the university point, currently owns the yeah. The we house point them to the university. So, um, oh, another thing on preserving our heritage is just we need to update this. Um, uh, the College Green Historic District. This house was at 623 College, and um, I think it was like around Halloween of 2015. It got struck by lightning and got a fire in the roof, and it subsequently got flooded by, I mean, the basement was filled by the fire hose water. Um, the couple an elderly couple lived there and over time it just it molded there was frank found mold in places on the house where you wouldn't think mold would get but anyway at the same time on iowa avenue we had two houses that were going to come down because of a developer we thought, wow, why don't we try to relocate one? And we found that one of them was amazingly in, intact on the inside. And so somehow we got that moved, and here it is. Um, the past property was contributing property. We kind of crossed our T's and dotted our I's and talked to Shippo before we moved the house to see if they would support it being remaining a contributing property in this district. And they supported that. But we actually need to go through the motions, edit the historic district so that the National Park Service also recognizes it as a contributing property. So that if, you know, the future owners want to do something, they can get tax credits or whatever, um, you know, and, and, and get that amended. We also had a proposal to, we, we I think the city, the previous city attorney suggested we update our maps that list key properties, contributing, non-contributing. Um, you know, there's just changes. Sometimes these, this is obviously a very dramatic change, but there are, you know, like even those houses that take off siding that, or rebuild a porch have gone from non-contributing potentially or, or to contributing or key contributing. Um, and, you know, we... I went through several of the districts a while ago, and we made a plan to kind of do three or four districts a year, three maybe two or three districts a year, um, and that just hasn't happened because of lack of staff time. And so. it is it is kind of two different issues to some point, because for us and how we classify the properties, we can just, uh, our guidelines actually talk about the fact that the commission needs to update the maps and the classification of properties over time. So that's one thing. This is changing the National Register oh. nomination. Now, another thing that can be done is all National Register historic districts can be updated with supplemental information so that if you did have a property that wasn't contrib contributing on the National Register nomination, it can be updated to count that as contributing yeah. too. So there are two levels. We should at least go through the maps and revisit the classifications of the properties as we regulate them locally. We should also, at least for this house, because it actually relocated, change the National Register nomination. We can also do that um, yeah. on the other maps. Sorry, I was moving on to the next item. That's to fine. Somewhere, but thank you for that clarification. Yeah. 
Um, oh, yeah, and then the Waterfront Survey. These are the three. Yeah, so at the same time we got the grant those. for the Summit Street Monument, we got a grant to study this house. Uh, we knew it was old. It is Friendly Farm. And there's a barn there. Um, we thought that it was the house of Cyrus Sanders, who was the surveyor who helped plat the city. It was actually not. We found that out. We have a whole intensive site inventory form on this property. This is uh, Cyrus's brother's house, Richard. <laughs> and Richard actually came first, I think, and then Cyrus came. Uh, there's a whole story now in the site inventory form. And it was discovered that even though it's not Cyrus's house, the house would still be eligible for a listing in the National Register. And just so you all know, Cyrus's house, which was a total Gothic revival and is illustrated on uh, one of the old city maps, is just north of that in the middle of the um, uh, mobile home park. It's covered in like vinyl siding or something and has a fence around it, but it exists right smack dab. And I think maybe one of their historic barns is there too, um, which is exciting. But anyway, um, we got this intensive site inventory form. The historian told us it's eligible and we have done nothing. We did not present the site inventory form to you guys. We did not present it yet to the owner. The owner knew about the whole thing. They were on board with figuring it out. Part of the reason was just time and then COVID and stuff. And then I think it was early last year, um, an agent of the owner had approached the city because they wanted to do something at the farm and I can't remember what it was but it was a zoning thing and so since they were kind of figuring out that and who knows if maybe local landmarking could help them with that we did not move forward at that any time we were ready to you know present it to you guys and to them at that time and we just held on to it because something was in the air and um, nothing happened so we could proceed with that again what year is the house um, I, I, I can't tell you that information oh, right okay. now, <laughs> just because I don't remember. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> so on these, the only, so I had on the Sinks at Gilmer house that was suggested we remove when I said the oldest house in the original city boundaries deserves to be saved and not end up as landfill waste. Are we comfortable keeping that or would do you find that too antagonistic? So can you read it, it again? again? Yeah. Sorry. The oldest house in the original city boundaries deserves to be saved and not end up as landfill waste. Um, I mean, I think there are probably more diplomatic ways to state it, but uh, I don't really have a problem with it. It's, I'm fine with that. It's if people have them. I just don't want to take it out entirely. Like, yeah. the, the, the choice is like either we do something with it or it's going to be. I mean, deserves to be saved. Deserve Unquestionable yeah. statement. Yeah. yeah. Landfill waste almost feels maybe slightly antagonistic, even is though. Is waste I mean, just critical. too strong of a word? Just so it was. It just deserves to be saved. And suggested edit was edit to change that sentence, as he said, to continue to work with the university and explore options to save the oldest house in the original city boundaries. I, given their record, I wouldn't. I don't know. I just I'll leave them out of it. it. Just yeah, I think I think it just deserves to be saved. Okay. Would be fine. So we'll leave it as I originally wrote it, except for 
and not end up as Yeah, I almost feel like that takes away from the power of the okay. first mm -hmm. statement. So we'll just delete yeah. that little end yep. of the sentence. Okay. Um, they also suggested, I had a sentence in there, a plan was outlined with city staff to update the maps, uh, but with limited staff time, this does not move forward. It just felt like a fact. Yeah. Are we comfortable keeping that in? I have no objections. To okay. What's the process for... for so I, the, the, what we mapped out, I went through the Northside District, Jefferson Street, the four that are kind of like in-ish my neighborhood during COVID because I had extra time and wanted to be outside and took notes and put them in a little document for Jessica. Just guessed and took photos of things I thought maybe there was a reason to move them from one to another. Jessica has, I am a, not an expert. An expert like Jessica needs to review them and make a final recommendation and then it would just come to us to vote. Yeah, uh, basically the next stat, step is me. There really isn't anybody else qualified to go through and review and, you know, take Kevin's comments, maybe ask for another Yeah, I mean, it's been, three, around, it's been you know? three years now, so there's, I mean, like, there's things that have changed, you know. Yeah, and then what we would do is, is we'd create basically like a little staff report, and we would make a little presentation that showed you which properties needed to change and why, and then you guys would approve it. So we, we had a call with Ann and Jessica last year after we passed this work plan, I think, to just met, like, well, we can't maybe do all of them at once. So maybe like this year we'll try to do these three or four north side. Mm -hmm. Next year we can do Longfellow and a couple, you know, just like. But do, it really does need to happen. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, like, this, yeah, it's not a, this, it will, it causes headaches mm -hmm. on the staff end for the grants if someone is applying to something that's non-contributing. And maybe it was not contributing ten years ago, but now is. Mm -hmm. um, or it just there. You know, we have some of our regulations are specific around what people can do if they're not contributing versus contributing, and they may be. You know, sometimes a good example is so former commissioner Sherry DeGraw. She lives in a house on Brown Street, and it is considered non-contributing to the district because before she owned it, or before the former owner, I don't know who did the work, but before someone owned it, it had been a rental house, and it was, you know, what we call remuddled. It was duplexed. Oh, okay. Well. And so what happened is an, an owner undid some of that work, and so now it would totally be considered a contributing property. Well, what if Sherry sells the house and it, we get an owner who wants to do something that's allowable by exception because it's a non-contributing property? They could end up undoing some of the work that was done to bring it back. You know, part of it is noting that something is actually contributing. And so we want to preserve that. And, and so that's part of it. We also have a whole bunch of properties that say they're non-historic because they were not 50 years old at the time they were surveyed in the 90s, yeah. you know? <laughs> and so now they are. There's two, I think, particularly in the Northside neighborhood that were like 1948 mm -hmm. that, that just, that are beautiful in beautiful condition mm -hmm. that just weren't, aren't listed as contributing because... They were too young the last time. You know, I guess young is a relative. Well, and, and most often it ends up being something where it was non-historic. And so, like, maybe it's mid-century infill in a historic neighborhood or something. And so even though it was built in the late 50s, for some reason they counted it as non-historic when they did the survey. And it's still non-historic. 
Now, if we were to relook at that, we would say, oh yeah, that's an old house. It's over 50 and it's a recognizable style. It's a ranch house. So it would be considered historic, but it probably is still non-contributing to the story of the district because it's built later, but it would still change from non-historic to non-contributing. Basically. Anyway. There's a whole bunch of notes that are now probably need to be redone if we're actually going to do something with it. But I, it, 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 anyway, I just wanted to say, like, look, we've we made a plan multiple times here. It just it can't happen with staff time. And I just want to acknowledge that. And that's why I wanted to include that. And then I think the only long term goal I had here was just evaluation of mid-century modern housing stock. Um, yeah, and I, I brought this up. So back in 2016, at the time we were moving the house, the owner of 2008 Dunlap Court came to me and the in, then executive director of Friends and said, I want to get my house listed in the National Register. It was, uh, I think, designed by either Fisk or Wayner or, one of, or both or something like that. I can't remember. It might be Wayner. And so I went there and documented the whole thing. But we just moved a house, so we did not have time to write a National Register nomination at the same time. But it's an example of mid-century modern. It's up there nestled in right uh, south of City High School. And, and there's some other houses in that neighborhood. There's other neighborhoods that are all mid-century modern as well. Yeah, I'm working on a house right now in College Court Place. That's that but, yeah. there's a house in Dunlap Court maybe this one that's very modern that is where the Doderers live Minette Doderer and her husband who, uh, who was a longtime state rep and kind of a pioneer in women's um, maybe stuff. it's this one I, it, I think it might be but I wasn't sure so I didn't want to say that there's a lot of extra history beyond yeah. it who it was built by and I can't and remember her, all of it her husband was a city council member at one time too so they were kind of both really involved she was a, a much uh, pioneer. So, and then I also included include digital. This is something I just took from last time. We there's a just as a wealth of hard copy stuff that if we could digify, I think people, there's a, there's a benefit to the city and the citizens and people who care about Iowa City just to have access to it. Uh, I, Anne suggested we take out. I had a sentence in there as the city's revamping its website. It's already that's been done. So we should just take that out. Anyway, sorry that was a lot. And no, it's. So from what I can tell, what we have done is we have kept a couple of the edits that Ann had. We've reworked a couple of the edits. We've removed a couple of her edits. And I think I have notes, but you the first can, one you would have to give me what you wrote down because I don't have that one. Oh, can on you, that very first one? Yeah, the one that I said and then you said. Yeah, we I continue don't. to advocate that embodied energy is worth valuing and should be included in the city the city's climate action work plan. That's, I, but I can get you that, Jessica. So anyway, we would need a motion, and then you guys could discuss if you want to keep that or you want to make any other changes and then vote like normal. Can we just make a motion to approve as we just discussed? Yep. Wagner moves to approve the 2023 uh, Historic Preservation Commission work plan as amended. Thoman seconds. Any discussion? We're already comfortable with the changes we made kind of as we went. Yep. We do that motion, right, Jessica? Yeah, that's that'll work. I as amended 
In this meeting. In this meeting. Great. Mm. Does that everyone understand what's we're Okay. All right. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? All right. Okay. And then now we have the annual review plan. The annual report. So we presented it to council, and I'm allotted five minutes for that. And so I have kind of a five-minute presentation, and I don't even need to do some of it for you. Uh, Just so you're aware, there's a national component and a local component. The National Historic Preservation Act of 1966 and all of its amendments started the Certified Local Government Program, basically because it started SHPO. Um, SHPO gets a historic preservation fund from the feds every year, and they distribute that not only, I, I think it pays for probably their work, but then they have grants and all sorts of other things that they do that are part of the Preservation Act and part of the CLG program. Um, we, just so you know, um, Iowa is one of the most active CLG programs in the nation. Mm-hmm. You might be surprised, but it is. I don't know for sure that it's the biggest, but one of the biggest for sure. Um, sorry about that. I don't know what's going on mm-hmm. with the caption there, but whatever. It's from a postcard. Um, so, as you know, we have historic districts and conservation districts. All of our historic districts are also listed in the National Register of Historic Places. The conservation districts have no National Register component, so it's only a local designation. Similarly, there are individual landmarks that are listed in the National Register. Some of those are local. There's also local landmarks. And uh, there's also National Register landmarks that aren't local landmarks. So the list of landmarks is actually very complicated. But uh, we also have two historic districts that are listed in the National Register, and we don't have a local component. One of them is the Melrose Historic District, south of the hospital and along Melrose. And our most recently designated Downtown Historic District. Both of those have no local component. Did the Manville Heights one not get on the register? Correct. Okay. Um, there is there, one written. Yeah, there has been a nomination, and now it's probably not quite eligible because of the amount of changes, so okay. it would have to be reevaluated. I That happened before I was here, and I... Most of our historic districts have gone through where they're listed nationally, and then we do the local thing. Manville Heights, I think they were kind of doing the local first, or, you know, it was a little bit different, and so neither of them went through. We do also have a local, uh, a national register district that was opposed by enough owners. Um, it is located, okay, so Clinton, it's, it's right, there, right in this area. Um, it's a Clinton Street and Railroad Depot Historic District. The, uh, the floods caused the loss of the Sabin School, which was um, down there in the south side. And when that happened, um, there was this agreement made between FEMA and SHPO and everything, and they did a study of this general area to see what other resources were there. And the consultant found this historic district. And so 
it's not listed in the National Register yet because we didn't put it forward to do that, but the nomination is written. Instead, we moved forward with a local historic district. If 20% of the owners of a district oppose... We didn't. We, we passed it and put it to planning and zoning. Planning and zoning put it yeah. forward, and then we withdrew it because there were only there were six council members at the time and one was opposed to any historic preservation and we would need six votes. Yeah, because if if 20% of the owners oppose it, it forces a supermajority of council and uh, there, it wasn't going to happen. But because of the opposing, because of the fact that we wanted to find out if um, the, the feds also thought it was eligible. And so... Um, yeah, we submitted the National Register nomination, and they gave us a, an uh, opinion of eligibility in only, because while the owners opposed the local district, they also contested the National Register district because they did not want it to be listed at all. So the National Park Service says, yes, it's eligible. So if the owners ever come back and rescind their their disagreement or whatever, then it would automatically be listed. It wouldn't even need to be reviewed again. I didn't say all that to council. Suddenly you guys are making my work like <laughs> an annual report thing longer. Anyway, this is my favorite map because it shows all of the districts w along with a bunch of the um, landmarks as well. The commission, as you know, 12 seats, three of which are open. Last year we only had 11 meetings, which is the le lowest we've ever had since I've been here. It's because we skipped December and didn't need additional meetings. Um, we don't really technically have a budget because it's part of the Neighborhood Development Services budget, but we do an annual mailing that costs about that. Uh, we're supposed to have about $750 for training and other expenses. And then our Historic Preservation Fund, it's just cut off. It has always been $40,000, and this year it was raised to $42,000. Um, the, the report goes through and talks about the National Register pro properties first uh, because that's what most of the CLG communities have. And they make us list any properties that had all of this done to them. Well, the commission reviews alterations. So we can easily track that for our local districts. And so about 36 properties were altered. That does not include the certificate of no material effect, so actually altered. This happens to be one uh, on the Longfellow neighborhood, and they have a screen porch and some associated window changes. Um, the next part, they start talking about the local designations. So we did locally designate one landmark last year, um, the John and Anna of Rocktake Pribble Cottage. Um, and then it has us talk about only locally designated properties that were altered. So these are all our conservation districts or the local only landmarks. This happens to be one of them. You know, I think this is something that happened because I, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't like this before. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, she re removed all of that synthetic siding. And then it has us go ahead and talk about, you know, our public outreach, our public education, how we assist with other groups, how we assist property owners. And um, so this year we had 89 applications for historic review. That's out of 246 inquiries about... 
246 separate properties. So sometimes that's multiple inquiries on a property. Um, so those are all the emails and calls I get throughout the year. 89 of them became applications. Now, last year was the biggest. Last year we had 276 inquiries and we had like 118 applications. 89 and 246 are about the same as the year before that. And um, I helped them, I talked to them about their internal gutters and they repaired them. Our Historic Preservation Fund helps property owners. This just happens to be one. We approve a, a new deck. When they took off the old deck, no flashing had been installed and the whole sill plate and the corner stud is rotted out and everything. So we help them repair their house and then they'll get a new deck eventually. Uh, public education and outreach includes our annual awards and we're excited for the 40th annual, but that's the only public education and outreach we did that year. Challenges and successes, um, we talk about you know the good things and the bad things, bad things being open positions on the commission, lack of contractors and people who can draw things, good things, historic preservation fund increase. And um, that's about it. So things I will add to the annual report, uh, of course, the two bios that I got from you guys. Um, I will also add a little bit of a slideshow, you know, some of maybe w what I've showed here, just to show the state some of the good things that have come out. But that's about all that we'll add. Um, you guys have a copy of it. Um, I sign it, the mayor signs it, and that's about it. So I just need you guys to approve it. <laughs> Beck moves to approve the 2023 CLG annual report as amended. Seller in second. All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? Motion carries. All right, we have one report on staff and chair issue. Yeah. One. Uh, minor review, this house had needed a, a basement egress window. The ground actually slopes so much away from this house that their window well will be about eight inches tall. So um, they're just gonna use landscaping limestone block for that instead of trying to match the foundation and everything we would normally require. It's um, just not necessary. They had some deteriorated other basement windows that we approved them to replace as well. All right, consideration of the minutes from the January 12th meeting. Anyone have any edits or anything? Do I have a motion to approve the January 12th minutes? Seligren, uh, I move to approve the minutes for January 12th, 2023. Back, second. All right, any discussion? All in favor say aye. 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 Any opposed? We have approved the minutes. Commission information, we have to talk about the March meeting. Do we have yeah, other, we other? do, and I haven't heard from Carl. I thought I had hoped that he would tell me what his availability is, but so my goal is to either find out from all of you guys when you're available so we can pick a meeting now if we can get a quorum without Carl. Otherwise, tell me your availability, and then once I hear from Carl, I will tell you when <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> so um, is... Anybody, I mean, I know it's during spring break, but just in case, anybody available around our normal time on Tuesday, March 14th? I would be. No. Okay, so Toman is a no, and Sellergren is a yes. Reynolds a no. Brown's a uh, Wait, huh? I'm a no. You're Sorry. a no. <laughs> like, what? Why don't we start with no's yes. first? Because yeah. then if we get to four, we're for sure. Well, I think we have enough no's right there. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. 
Is that spring break week? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm not doing anything. That's why it was an option for me. <laughs> but, um, yeah, because so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So I can only lose two from any date. Mm. And so March 14th is out. Okay, March 22nd, Wednesday. Are there any no's? Sitting here? Okay, well, that's a good thing right there. So I'm going to mark everybody, yes, except for Carl, just in case. Uh, March 23rd, Thursday, are there any no's? Okay, so I do want to ask Carl, just because if we can get a full house, great. Yeah. But otherwise, do you guys have a preference on Wednesday or Thursday, generally? 22nd or 23rd? Yeah. No. No. So I'd really appreciate it if for right now you put it on your calendar on both of those days. On Monday, I will tell you which one it will be. I've also booked this room for all three days, and so I'll have to tell the, the room as well. So I'll just work through all that on Monday, and it'll be one of those two days. Great. And, and no to the original date. March. Definitely not, because oh. I don't have Kevin, I don't have Noah, and I don't have Frank. Okay. You don't have quorum. So, yeah. So even, yeah. And, and we do need to have the meeting, because I know we'll have at least two applications ready, if not three or more, because the deadline's not till next week. So, and one of them will be the house on Ronald Street, um, so we'll have that as well. And they've been working with us. They didn't come back to you because it seemed to be kind of a consensus of having to change the zoning code to allow accessory dwelling a, a rental property was not the, the way to go. Too much other background stuff to do. So they will eventually split the lot, but right now they're going to work on the smaller house that is on the west side and so we've been um, kind of going through our normal design review process with them for that smaller house and so um, they're almost ready I mean I feel good about it and it's coming in it's gonna be uh, ready for that March meeting so Great. Um, any other question information no I know I sent you guys a few emails I want you to know that if something comes from Shippo that I think you might be interested in I'll send it to you and sometimes you know you can ignore them <laughs> but otherwise you know read through um, the last one I know had a whole bunch of stuff about things coming up like the preservation summit and all that kind of stuff and um, if you ever find out that you might be interested in something uh, let me know because I might be able to help with that depending so awesome anyone else have anything all right I think we're ready for adjournment we have a motion to adjourn you know we have a motion to adjourn Reynolds seconds the motion all in favor say aye Aye. Aye. All right, we are adjourned. Thank you, everybody. Thank we'll you. see you on the 22nd or 23rd. Yep. And we'll know which of those dates on Monday. Awesome.